Well, welcome to church. My name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so look, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to pick up in part two of our foundation series in here in just a moment. But foundations, this series is really a part of the mission of Northwood Church to help build Christ-centered communities that know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. And the special thing about this series, about a 12-week series, we're actually creating a discipleship track, next step track, and uh, this is going to be a part of that curriculum. We're actually going to develop a book out of this, and it's going to be used in our groups going into the following semester, and so we're very excited about it. We're going to be taking some of these teachings, and that's going to work in tandem with our freedom groups, and uh, we've, been, we've been talking about this for quite some time, and it's actually coming to full fruition now, and uh, so we're excited about it. You know, when you talk about foundations, in order to help people grow in Christ, they have to have a solid foundation. Pastor Jordan alluded to that last week when he talked about if you build a house, if you have a shaky foundation, the house is not going to stand. And so a part of the foundation's teaching is for people to have a solid understanding of their faith. And uh, we believe that when the wind comes and the storms blow, that if we build our house on Jesus and have a firm foundation of why we believe what we believe, we're going to remain. You know what I'm talking about? And so this is all about that, developing a strong foundation. And so it doesn't matter how long you've been serving God, right? There's nothing new under the sun. We know that. However, this never gets old. The, the truth of God's word never gets old. And, uh, you know, even me studying this, uh, you know, a lot of these things I've studied before. But every time I embrace the fundamental truths of God, I'm impacted in a great way. And uh, I believe you're going to be impacted today. You know, last week we talked about discipleship, learning to follow Jesus. And this week we're going to talk about justification, a changed condition. Now, I've got a lot of notes today, so get ready. You know, they always say, get ready, get ready, get ready. And uh, so pay attention. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to teach a lot today, and I believe you're going to get something out of it. Are you ready? Justification, a changed condition. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know that you have salvation. It's very important that we, that we know the hope of our salvation. It's, it, it's, it's imperative that we have assurance of our salvation so that we're not blown and tossed by the wind. It, it's, it's very important that we know the truth of our salvation so that we have certainty of our faith. We have to be certain of our faith. It's not good enough to say, I'm not sure, I don't know, I don't quite understand. We have to be certain of our faith. Ironclad, if you would, in our faith. We, we have to be cemented to our faith. We're, we're unshakable. And that's the goal, is that we're unshakable. Things are going to come in our life. Things are going to happen. But we remain unshakable because of the Word, because of the Spirit of God. And so in order to understand this hope, 
in order to understand justification, we've got to go back to the beginning. We've got to go all the way back to the beginning, to creation. And in the beginning, God made everything good. It was optimal. It, it was whole. When God created man, there was peace. There was wholeness. There was harmony and spiritual communion with God. It was harmonious. It was like it was like perfect almost, right? It was harmonious. And mankind was given a free will. Mankind was given a free will. And our free will gave us a chance to love God and be in relationship with him. It's the way God created it. I like to say it's the program that we have. And so in the beginning, we had free will, and Adam and Eve used this free will and disobeyed God, and they broke the spiritual harmony that was taking place, that good and optimal harmony. And at that time, sin entered the world, and the curse of death was enacted. In Genesis chapter 2, I'm just going to read it to you real quick. God said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So the day you eat it, you shall surely die. One commentary says this, you shall become mortal, basically. You shall become mortal and capable of dying. The grant of immortality shall be recalled, and that defense shall depart from you. Wow. That's powerful. That's what was happening in the garden when the serpent, we know, tempted Adam and Eve and said, didn't God say, you're not going to die, eat of the fruit? We know they didn't die immediately, but all of a sudden they took on immortality. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In other words, immortality went away and mortality spread to all men. That word die, you shall surely die, is a sipient death, meaning you're going to eventually die. At that time, death was not natural, and it's actually the last enemy that will be conquered finally and forever through Christ. We see it as the first enemy, the curse of sin, you shall surely die. But guess what? It's the last enemy that's going to be defeated through Christ. Through Adam's disobedience, deaths, death and sin entered the human race. And in other words, we inherited sin and we inherited death. It's a condition. We'll die one day now in this body, but we'll, be we'll have a new body, and we'll take on immortality one day. I had the honor to do my uh, mom's mom's uh, funeral, and uh, during that message, I told the people, Mama's got an upgrade. We're going to get an upgrade one day. But we inherited a sin condition and we'll die. 
But what's the problem with that? A lot of people say, what's the problem with dying? You know, hey, it's a natural thing. The problem is sin. That's the problem. So we're talking about justification. We're talking about a changed condition. And we're tracking from the beginning. And sin was the problem. Now, here's what sin means. It means breaking the law of God or failure to keep it, rebellion against God, or missing the mark. Missing the mark. When you see there, breaking the law of God, we actually talked a lot about the law of God in our Romans series. Matter of fact, part three and part seven is on YouTube. And so if you want to dive into the technicalities of the law and see it expanded for what it is, I encourage you to go back to YouTube and check, out, check it out on, uh, check out Romans, the series on YouTube. But when we talk about sin, it's really missing the mark with God, right? It's missing the mark. And, and, and if you look at the Greek word sin, it's actually a term pulled from archery. So, so the Greek, it was painting a picture of, of a bullseye and, and an archer shooting for that bullseye. And, and all that area in between where it misses the bullseye is called sin. It's basically saying it's like missing the mark or missing the bullseye of life that God's created us to live, sin, missing the mark. And we know that sin separates us from God. The scripture tells us that. We see it in the beginning. Spiritual harmony was broken because of sin. And so sin separates us from God. It breaks intimacy, not only in this lifetime, but forever. The Bible describes a place called hell, a broken away from God. But the Bible also describes a place called heaven with God forever. But this thing called sin, it separates us from God. And so we have to ask our question, who has sinned then? Who has sinned? Romans tells us in chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So since the fall of man, we have been under the curse of sin and we've inherited a sin condition. And so when you think about sin, it, 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 it's a sin nature that we were born with. A lot of people say, well, it, it, are we talking about my behavior today? Are we talking about sins I'm committing today? No, we're talking about the condition of sin and the nature you inherited from Adam. Psalm says it this way, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. From the womb, David implies his sin nature from the time of birth. Right there in the beginning. The problem with sin is that it requires a bigger solution than ourselves, and we're unable to remedy this thing called sin. We're unable to do it, but the solution is salvation. That's the solution, all right? Now, when we talk about salvation, you got to start thinking about a word called atonement. And the only way sin can be atoned for was by the shedding of innocent blood. It's the system that God set up. It's the sacrificial system that he set up in the old and in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, 
and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by life. Now we see the sacrificial system right here in Leviticus, and it's a complicated thing. Again, we talk a little bit about the law and Romans and, and the sacrifices there, but, but this is the thing that God instituted to make a way for man. One commentary says that by the means of the life of the animal, which ransoms the life of the offerer from the deserved judgment of the Lord. For God said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. And so we see that in the beginning, the Lord himself was providing a way where people couldn't make a way on their own, and he happened to use the sacrificial system. And we know that the plan of God was to send Jesus the perfect sacrifice for the sin of all people. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I want you to think about that for a moment. I know we have a lot of information here, but Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the offering that pleases God. There's no other name by which you can be saved but by the name of Jesus. He's made a sacrifice that you couldn't make. And that's why we worship here today. And it takes the revelation from the Spirit to grab a hold of this. It takes a revelation from God for it to impact your life in a way that no man can impact you. We need an outside source. We need the Spirit of God to reveal Jesus to us. We know the Word reveals Jesus to us, but the Holy Spirit makes it real in our life. But it's the blood of Christ. There is no other blood that can make, make a way. There is no other blood. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? said, how much more? Meaning, it's not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of Christ's blood. Though God made a way with, blood, with the blood of goats and calves and old, how much more will he make a way now through Christ? Talking about being justified. The only way for eternal redemption is through the blood of Christ. That's it. There's no other way. There's no other blood. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says it this way. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name above all names. It's the greatest name there ever was. It's the greatest name there ever be. You got somebody excited in here. (laughs) 
We worship in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. We live in the authority of Jesus. We believe this doctrine that there is no other way. There never will be. This is it. Philippians says this. I'm going to read it to you. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is the king of the universe. That's something I was thinking about this morning when I was praying. I was thinking, dear God, you're the king of the universe. You ever think about that? I mean, really, like really think about it. Do you ever really like meditate on that? Like just alone, just, just kind of, you know, Jesus oftentimes withdrew to a place of solitude where he was able to pray and seek God. And so I, th I think it's important that we, we also withdraw, withdraw away from and come to the presence of Jesus. Like shut off the noise, you know, stay real quiet, don't talk. Like, don't talk. Just listen and meditate. Turn off the phone. Power off. I know some of you have a panic attack. <laughs> you know how it is, man, when we, when we leave the house and we don't have our phone, it's like, it's like more important than our wallet or our purse. To where you can actually just get alone with God and think about his majesty. Think about that he's the king of the universe. Think about that he's in control of all things. Think about that he has your future in his hands and not just what's happening to you today. And, and, and I think that's where we need to learn to depend upon God because we're always so focused on what's going on now. We're always so focused what, on the things that we see that we forget about the things that are unseen. We, 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 we forget about the spiritual domain, the kingdom that God is building. And we get anchored to this lifetime. We get anchored to our today. We get anchored to our stuff. We get anchored to our job. We get anchored to all these things that, that the Bible describes that people who don't know God are distracted by, right? That spend their energy on but we're different. When I get alone with God and I meditate that it's the name above all names and that he's the king of the universe, all of a sudden everything else gets really, really shallow. And that's good. I think some of you need some solitude in a good way. It's not really in my notes here today, but just think about that word solitude for a moment. Because I, be, I, believe, I believe God wants to do something in your life in solitude. Some of your, mom, some of your mamas in here are like, yes, Lord, I receive it. You know? <laughs> so we're talking about salvation. We're talking about he's the king of the universe. 
We're talking about that there is no other name. He's the name above all names. There is no other way. He's the way maker. So how are we saved then? We have a sin problem. We know he's the perfect lamb of God that, that made the sacrifice that we couldn't make. But how are we saved then? Well, we have to receive his mercy. We know mercy triumphs over judgment. We have to receive his mercy. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy. We have to receive his mercy. So what's mercy? Well, mercy is God not punishing us for our sins as we deserve. That's mercy. Mercy can be defined as withholding from us our due consequence of sin, which is death. Mercy. Mercy is deliverance from judgment, which we all deserve. Mercy. That's one of the reasons people get excited when they worship, because they've received mercy. When I first came to church, it was in building number two there, and, and, I, and I, I hadn't experienced salvation yet. And I, I walked into that building. It was the only building we had at the time, the only location we had. And I saw some people in there lifting their hands, and I saw some people playing some instruments up here and worshiping God. And I said, man, these are some weirdos. I was in the back row. As soon as it was over, I peeled out of there, man. Let me tell you something. It was in 1999. I peeled out of that place and went and got loaded. I said, something's wrong with me. I hadn't experienced mercy yet. I didn't have a revelation of mercy First Peter says this, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once I was not a per people, right? Once I was not underneath that mercy. But Jesus made a way where there seems to be no way. And his mercy triumphs over judgment. And we need to find ourselves at the mercy seat of God. We want to be sober-minded and vigilant. The Bible says our adversary prowls around and looks for those he can devour. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and the mercy that he has endowed upon us, I can tell you right now, you won't be shaken. We have to receive his mercy, but we also have to receive his grace. We're talking about how are we saved? How does this thing work? Well, we have to receive his mercy, but we also have to receive his grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you who were dead 
Now, this is spiritually dead. You who are spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, which refers to Satan, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in that time in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature sons and daughters of Adam. This was by nature. We were sons and daughters of Adam, born into a fallen state, born into the sin condition. By nature, we were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, don't you like that but? But God, there is hope in Christ. <laughs> That's what he's saying. But God, there is hope in Christ. Don't go, let's give it up for Jesus, man. It's Jesus. He's making a way, man. I'm just reading his scriptures because I ain't nobody. I can tell you that right now. But God, <laughs> there is hope in Christ. <laughs> Being rich in what? Mercy because of the great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive, meaning God gave us regeneration. He gave us a new spiritual life within. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. By grace. By grace. Salvation is through grace. Grace can be defined as the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. A lot of people say, Lord, give me some favor. Basically, Lord, give me a lot of money. Come on, you can sum it up with that. Lord, give me those divine appointments, God, so I can look better and be better. No, grace is unmerited favor where we deserve judgment. Jesus became our sacrifice. So you know what? We're walking in favor because our sins have been forgiven. That's called favor. Come on. That's called favor. Grace is, grace is God's favor upon us. Grace is the influence of the Spirit of God in our life. When all is falling apart from the outward, it's grace that builds us up in the inward, knowing that our reward is with him in heaven. I think about the martyrs. Some of the old, uh, early apostles, they... They considered themselves unworthy to be martyred for his namesake, but they were counted worthy that they could die for Jesus' favor. Mm. Think about that. Wow. Lord, let me be a martyr and follow in your footsteps. How many of you pray in that prayer? Now, I'm not telling you to go pray that prayer, everybody. I'm just telling you. The times in which was going on when Jesus walked the earth, this was their prayer. It's like, let's do this all the way. Unmerited favor. By grace you have been saved. 
It refers to deliverance from God's wrath at the final judgment. You want to walk in favor? Be delivered from God's wrath. It kind of redefines that word favor. You know what I'm talking about. I just like to hit on those cliches for a moment. That's okay, right? You know how it is, people walk around. Favor isn't fair. Because they got some kind of promotion or something. Mm. No, 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 no. You've been saved. You've been delivered from God's wrath at the final judgment. That's favor. And when that happens, you walk with great humility and brokenness, knowing that in your strength, you're nothing. But because of God, you've been made right with him. And we have to receive this by faith. It takes faith. It's the instrument that God uses. It's the way God set it up. And faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Strong belief in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. That's where people get kind of hung up right there, rather than proof. And God gives us the ability to have faith. He does it. Hebrews says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith. The conviction. The steadfastness. The faith that reorients our mindset and the way we think about life. One commentary says this, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something is not, that's not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Faith. And that's why we're teaching this, that your faith would be solidified because your faith will be tested. Everybody's faith will be tested in this lifetime, and it's going to come in a myriad of ways. Most of the time, what tests our faith to the highest level is trials and suffering. It's unfortunate, right, when you think about it that way. However, it's in those trials and it's in those sufferings that there's a unique, special thing. It's called the work of the Holy Spirit does in our life, refining us. Paul the Apostle says that our momentary trials and affliction is creating in us such more a weight of glory because our faith is being refined. And it's in those trials and it's in, those, in that suffering where, where, where the perseverance of the Spirit kicks in. And you tap into the Holy Spirit and you're able to persevere through it and your faith comes out like silver and like gold because the fire of trials burns out the dross and nobody wants trials. And a lot of times we, we try to escape trials, but I think that Jesus teaches us that we're going to face trials, so you might as well face trials. Meaning you might as well not run away. You're going to get tired anyway, and it ain't going to work. I always looked at trials like, you know, we, we, we used to, you know, back in Bible college, we used to study uh, 
the, the scripture some, and they, 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 they painted a picture. They painted a picture uh, talking about uh, uh, inside of an olive, there's something precious that everybody wants, and it's called olive oil. And I, and I think that just for this message today, we're all olives. But to be useful, we need the olive oil. And they, and, and, and in the old times, they had these olive press. And, and I think if you study back in history, some of the first olive presses was like a concrete channel, almost in a circle with olives on it. I think it had some grates or whatever. I'm not sure. I'm not a historian. Not that smart. But they had these big stones They'd push these stones around that olive press and that crushing of that stone would release that olive oil. And I think that God wants to release olive oil in your life. I think some of you are, are, are right there poised for God to do something. I always thought of myself as an olive when I was listening to those teaching and I was like the little olive and saw the stone coming and I kept running. This thing was a circle, by the way. There was no way out. (laughs) Think about it. I want you to picture like a track. It's got big walls. You're a little olive with legs. You with me? The student should have stayed in here. (laughs) And I had those little legs, and I'm running. And I'm looking back, and that stone's coming, and I'm running. And I'm running, and and I'm starting to get tired. That press is moving at the same speed, but I'm slowing down. By the time it gets to me, I'm out of breath, I'm screaming, I'm yelling, I'm kicking and spitting. But I believe the Lord showed me at that time, and I haven't learned the art of doing this quite yet because, you know, I'm all, we're, all, we're all trying to understand. Stop running. Turn around. Face the stone. Come on. Just turn around. Just turn around. And I realize that when suffering comes and affliction comes and trials come, you panic, you don't understand. The psalmist said, be still, my soul. Let the stone come because God is well able to use that stone, the storm, the trial, the affliction, and create olive oil with it. Olive oil. You got to receive it by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is necessary, it activates its power, it causes us to yield to his spirit, it causes us to embrace this life, this stone, it causes us to surrender and say, not my will be done, but your will be done. I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's our greatest example of a life that was being crushed 
but out of it came something so special and so powerful. And it takes that faith for you in this lifetime. And I'm like the disciples a lot of times. I'm right there with you guys. Listen to me. I haven't mastered this. Come on. You kidding me? No way. But we can encourage one another to master the word in, in this. Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Faith is necessary. And we're like the disciples a lot of times, as I was saying, I don't feel like I have enough faith to do it, Lord. I, I just don't feel like it's enough. I love Jesus because he addresses every one of our concerns. He said, even with a mustard seed of faith, just a little bit, just a tiny little bit. You ever seen a mustard seed? They're really, really small. Those things are small. Even with just a little bit of faith, I can use that. Just a little bit. Talking about salvation, talking about receiving it by faith, talking about walking in faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be justified. And I'm intermixing a lot of things, but we're justified by faith. Our condition is changed. And I just talked about it. We live by faith and our life becomes an offering. Jesus was our greatest offering. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. We were born in a sin condition because of Adam, but we received his mercy. He became the sacrificial lamb. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. We received his grace, his unmerited favor from deserved judgment. We activate it by faith, and we're justified by faith, meaning we've been translated out of darkness into his light. Though we were inherited with sin from, the, from Adam, we've inherited not uh, righteousness from Jesus by faith. It's more than an intellectual agreement, but a deep inward trust at the core of our being. We're justified by faith. Justification happens at the moment of salvation. We're justified. At that moment, we're set on a right standing. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've removed your transgressions from you. You who are once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. It happens instantaneously at salvation. Remember in the beginning, justification, a changed condition. We inherited a sin condition, but at the moment of salvation, we can call it conception, the new birth, we inherited righteousness from Christ. We didn't inherit it from ourselves. Justification happens at the moment of salvation. Listen to what Romans said, verse 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23, remember, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification. When you start studying it, it's a legal term meaning to declare a person righteous or just. It's a, it, you've been justified. It's like if you were standing before a judge, you were either going to be condemned to judgment or justified, and you were justified because of Christ. We know that Jesus is our advocate with, our, with the Father. He's our great attorney, if you would. He stands in the gap for us. And we're made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our condition has been changed. I like what this commentary says. It says justification and reconciliation are the first and primary fruit of the death of Christ. We are justified by his blood and reconciled by his death. This is the gospel. Listen to what Colossians says, chapter 1, verse 21. It says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Man, he's presenting you holy and blameless before him. You know you can't do that by yourself. Come on, somebody. There ain't nobody who can do that. We were once alienated from God, but now we are adopted into the family of God. We are now children of God. We've been adopted. Christ's work in believers presents us holy and blameless before God. A changed condition. Being justified. Watch what Romans says, talking about adoption. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We've been adopted. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been adopted into the family of God. And it's evidenced by the Spirit of God that cries out within us, Abba, Father. It's the Holy Spirit of God. When we are justified, we receive the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God in us cries out, Abba, Father. It's the witness of the Spirit of God within us that gives our spirit assurance that we're a child of God. It's the Spirit of God in me that bears witness with my spirit that I am a son of God. It's I know because I know. I believe it's a special, the Word tells it, the Spirit confirms it. I, I think that when we have the Spirit of God in us, there's something inside of us that bears witness with our spirit, the human spirit, that says, I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. Listen to what 2 Corinthians says. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
A seal was a mark of ownership and a guarantee was a down payment, a deposit. The spirit of God in us is a guarantee. It's a down payment. It's a seal to redemption. The spirit comes as God's pledge to complete the final redemption of his people at the end of age. The Spirit's presence in the believer's life is a reliable sample or foretaste of the future fullness. That's why those people in that building when I walked in were worshiping in spirit and truth because the Spirit of God in them was a guarantee that they had been bought with a price. You've been born again not of perishable seed from Adam, but of imperishable seed from Jesus. This is justification. This is salvation. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old has passed away, and the new has come. And as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God, justified, a changed condition, might add, it's miraculous and it's spiritual. Close your eyes with me just for a moment. It's a lot of information we talked about today. But God is calling some of you right now to himself. It's the loving kindness of God that brings you to repentance. Maybe you're watching online right there. Maybe you're right here in the room and you know you were like me 24 years ago that realized I need a savior. I need to be redeemed. And it was God who was drawing me and it was God who gave me the faith to actually believe. And it was the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. And he gave me that revelation just like he's given that revelation to you right now. That you must be saved. You must receive his mercy. You must receive his grace. And you do that by faith trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so what we're going to do right now, if that's you, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And you're just going to agree with me and just say, Lord, I surrender. Thank you for paying a price that I couldn't pay. I confess Jesus right now that you are the Messiah. Forgive us, Lord. Change my condition. In Jesus' name, amen.